I don't care which venue you're in, that deserves some celebration. Thank you for allowing God to work through you, no matter which campus you attend. God has done great things in 2019, and I look forward to how he's gonna move us in 2020 as well, but I'll tell you where that all begins, and that's with his word. So if you would, open your Bibles to James chapter one. James chapter one, uh, if you're opening one of those blue Bibles, no matter which venue you're in, it's page 1011, 1011. 1011, uh, South Campus was great being with you last week, enjoyed sharing that news with you in person. Uh, we're excited to see what God does with you and uh, Converge and West Campus Hive, I'm looking forward to getting with you. I have plans to see you later on, not for disciplinary reasons. Uh, and don't expect a piece of property as well, some big gift. But uh, excited to be with you today. We're gonna continue our series that we've called Inertia. Remember, inertia is the tendency of an object that's in motion to continue in that motion, to stay in motion. And the reason why we've done this series is because we want you to start up 2020 in God's direction, moving in his direction, starting the year that way so that you'll have the tendency to continue in that direction the rest of the year so that we wouldn't look back in January 2021 and say we're in the same place spiritually, we're in the same place in our lives where we can say, God, you moved us. God, you moved through us and we moved as a group and God can do great things when our church, our entire church has some inertia to it and so we've asked you to get involved in that. In week one, we were talking about looking up in worship, looking up to him, that's where it all begins because it's Christ's love that compels us or controls us or guides us. And then last week, Ben talked about leaning in, leaning into community. We have to be around other believers. Iron sharpens iron, and also we support one another. And so we have to be in community together. And today we're gonna talk about reaching out, reaching out. But it begins in James chapter one. And so I want to just read James chapter one, verses 22 to 27 for you. So just follow along with me. Uh, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, because then you'd be deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, then this person's religion is worthless. Because verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, as we are talking about the direction that God wants to move us and he is that outside force that has come in to move us so that we are not an object at rest because an object at rest tends to stay at rest, we know that God wants to move us in a direction 
And we know that because of what he says in James chapter one, that he doesn't want us to be only hearers of the word, but doers, acting on what we know, which tells us, and it's the premise for today, is this, that your faith was made to move you in a way that makes a difference. Your faith was made to move you in a way that makes a difference. And that's why I wanted to start this sermon, our time together in God's word, with that video that we hear called the impact video, the impact that, that God made through you as a fellowship in 2019. Because that's exactly what our faith is meant to do. It's meant to move us. It's meant to move us in a way that makes a difference. Your faith was not made for the sanctuary. Your faith was made for the street. Your faith was made to make a difference in this world. You were not only saved so that you could be with Jesus for eternity, you were saved so that you could make a difference for Jesus today. That's why he saves us. That's why he sets us apart. That's why he makes us different. That's why he fills us with his Holy Spirit, so that we would be empowered to make a difference in our world. You see, the difference shouldn't only be inside of us, but should work itself out. And what James tells us is that we can't just be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers as well. In fact, Rick Warren has a, has a great quote. I love, he's a pastor and author. He says that you believe the parts of the Bible that you obey. You believe the parts of the Bible that you obey. If you don't obey the Bible, then you don't believe it because we all obey what we believe. If we really believe that this is supposed to move us, that we are supposed to act on the things that we know and the things that we believe, then we'll obey them. That's what James is talking about. If you look back at verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, because if you're a hearer only, then you are deceiving yourself. Interesting thing with that word doer, the word, uh, the Greek word doer actually means to finish or complete, demonstrate. And I love how it says that. It means that your faith isn't demonstrated, proven, complete, finished until it's acted upon because you obey the parts of the Bible that you believe. The parts you believe, you obey. You put it into action. That's what James is talking about, that if you just say that you believe, if you just sit and listen to sermons, we don't know what you believe. You prove it, you demonstrate it when you act upon it, when you put your faith into action. And he says that those who are only hearers of the word and don't demonstrate or prove their faith, then they are actually deceiving themselves. And he used this, this analogy of a mirror, and if you think about it, why do you look into a mirror? To see if there's anything you need to change, right? To be, to be presentable. And, and you go, oh my gosh, you know, my, my zipper's down. Or, or, you know, I only have one earring. I don't wear earrings, but yeah, I'm trying to relate to you ladies. So, you know, I, but you look into the mirror so that you know that you're presentable. You go, gosh, is there anything I need to change? Is my hair the way I want it? Is the makeup the way I want it? Is my shirt the way I want it? Do I need to tuck it in, untuck? All those things. And he says, if you only hear the word, then it's like you're looking into the mirror, which is God's word, and you're saying, 
okay, I look fine. And you're deceived because when we look into the perfect law of God, all of us, myself included, know that we need to change. There's a change that needs to happen inside me. And the only way that you know, and I know, that there's been a change inside of me is if I do it, if I act upon it, if I demonstrate it, if I prove it. You see, because if I only hear it, then I'm deceiving, probably trying to deceive you that I'm better than I am, but I'm deceiving myself, thinking that I'm better than I am, that the word of God doesn't have anything that it applies to me. I'm deceiving myself thinking that I'm not gonna be held accountable for what I hear, which by the way, you will, folks. We will all be held accountable for what we know from God's word. And if you think that you can just listen to it and deceive everyone else, thinking that you're a good moral person and that's the point of faith, is just to show up and look good, then you're deceiving yourself. Because it doesn't matter how many people in this world that you're deceiving, what matters is if you're presentable before the Lord. And he says, show me, show me that you believe this. Be a doer of the word, put your faith into action, prove that you believe that. That's what James is talking about in this whole first chapter. And he doesn't want us to be deceived thinking that the end of our faith is just to hear the word and say, I believe it. Do you know what the most encouraging thing you can say to a preacher is? Or to anybody that teaches you the word? Honestly, I'll speak for myself. I could care less if you think it's a good sermon. Well, I do care. <laughs> I, I do, I'm being honest. But what encourages me more way, 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 way more, is if you say, Cody, I obeyed that scripture. Not because of what I said, but because of what God said to you through the word, that you put it into action, that you did what it said, because I know that you'll find blessing when you do that. That encourages me far more than anything that you can say about a sermon or anything that I said. It's what God says, and it's that you walk with him and that you obey him. That's what means the world to me and I think any other preacher as well, anybody who teaches you the word. I don't teach this to entertain you. I teach this to you so that you would be transformed, so that it would transform us from the inside but also from the inside out that it would make a difference in our lives, not just a difference in our heads, because if it just makes a difference here, then we're deceiving ourselves because your faith was meant to move you in a way that makes a difference, a difference in you and a difference in the world as well. And the way that it's supposed to make a difference in the world as it works itself out is by us reaching out reaching out to serve those in need because it demonstrates the heart of God. Because that's what faith is supposed to do. Faith is meant to, as we hear God's word, it's meant to change our hearts. And how is it supposed to change our heart? Our heart should look more like Jesus's heart. And then we demonstrate Jesus's heart as we reach out to those in need. Because that's what Jesus was defined by or marked by. If you read the, the pastor's desk, which many of you don't, and that's okay, I know you don't, it's all right, you just look at who it's sent from. I know, yeah, nervous laughter. <laughs> anyway, 
what I wrote in the pastor's desk, you know, all of these decades that in the, in the past have been defined by a dance move, right? I mean, if you think about it, I'll, I'll, I'll start way back when. In the 60s, it was the twist. Yeah, see, I know, now I know who read it. The 60s was defined by the twist. The 70s was the hustle. The 80s, how many of you did the moonwalk, right? You, or at least you tried. tried it. 90s, the Macarena. 2000s, I, I don't really know. The Dougie, I don't even know what that is, but I, it's a name. And I, th- I said, if there, if there was a church that was defined by Jesus's dance move, what would it be? Like if Jesus had a move and that defined him, that defined us, what would that be? I don't have a clever name for it, but it would be reaching out. If he made a video, it'd be called Sweating to the Scriptures. I know that. That's good. But it would be defined by this, this move, reaching out, reaching out to those in need. That's what defined Jesus. That's what we see him doing all throughout the Gospels is reaching out to those in need. He was reaching out to those on the fringes. He was reaching out to those who were vulnerable. He was reaching out to those that no one would pay attention to. He was reaching out to heal people that, that were hurting he was reaching out in compassion. He was always reaching out. That's the move that defined Jesus. It's the move that defined his heart, and it's the move that he wants to define us as well, which is why he says in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The religion that is pure and faultless or undefiled before God is this. And I wanna break this verse down. Just stop right there. Because if you trace this back to verse 22 and and what he's, the analogy that he's using with the mirror, when we look into a mirror, it's because we want to be presentable to everyone else. We, we don't wanna be embarrassed when, when we show up and we look disheveled or uh, not put together, et cetera. But what he's talking about here is, what is the religion that is pure and undefiled before whom? It's God the Father. It's what matters most to him. When we look into a mirror, it doesn't matter how we present ourselves to other people. What matters is how he sees us, and it says, religion that is pure and undefiled, and I know some red flags have gone up for a lot of you already, because you're like, religion? I thought you told me, Cody, it was all about a relationship, and that's right. In Christianity, it is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then today is the day to start it, because he will change your life today and forever, which we'll be talking a little bit more about later. But religion here, the word that is used for it is the word that you would think. It all, has all the associations. It means ceremonial worship. It means going through rituals or routines. It's all the externals that people did in order to worship their God in the day. And what James is doing is he's using that external, but he's using it before the Lord saying that our faith is to be demonstrated externally, but what makes it pure and undefiled is when we have his heart, when we've been transformed by the word, when we've looked in here and let him change us. 
And when we get his heart for the world and his move, which is reaching out, and we actually do that, not to deceive others of how good we are, but because we're doing it for God the Father, that's pure and undefiled religion. That's the external that is pure and undefiled before the Lord. Not that we act and reach out to people in order to gain God's affection or to gain God's approval because folks, that is what every other religion in the world is based on. Every other religion in the world is based on doing good things so that God will love you, so that God will accept you. And in Christianity, it's turned all the way around. He accepts you by grace through faith through his son, Jesus, and so now we get to. Now we get to reach out. Now we get to demonstrate God's heart. Now we get to prove it. Now we get to finish it, put it into practice, complete it, complete the faith, because we have faith so that we can act on it. And he gives us an example here of what that pure and undefiled religion is. He says, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Widows and orphans uh, in those days, they, they didn't have any means of supporting themselves. If you think about it, especially back then, I mean, there was no social security system or anything like that. It was all based on family. Families took care of families. And what do we know about widows and orphans? A widow, well, they're their partner has died, their husband has died. Uh, an, an orphan has no family. And that's why it's so revolutionary when Jesus comes on the scene and even when, when people come to Jesus and they say, hey, your mothers and brothers are, are, are out there and he says, no, 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 no. My mother and brother's father, my family are those who do the will of the father, those who obey me. And so Jesus steps on the scene and he creates a whole new Christian family that where we take care of one another, where we reach out to each other. I mean, if you think about it, when the, when the church is formed in Acts chapter two, what's the first thing that they do? They get together and they worship, they look up, they lean into community, and then it says they had everything in common. They shared with one another. They reached out to one another. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And they shared. So much so that the first organizational act of the church in Acts chapter six is to do what? It's to form deacons so that the widows could be fed. They were marked by this new sense of family where we reach out to care for others in need. That, that demonstrates the heart of God, this reaching out. That's what he's saying is pure and undefiled, caring for widows and orphans in their affliction or in their distress. And I don't think it's just widows and orphans, although I, I obviously believe that he chose those words very carefully to show us the point that who he wants us to reach out to are the people that he reached out to in the New Testament, who Jesus reached out to. It was certainly those who couldn't care for themselves, it was certainly those who are in need, but it was those who were in vulnerable positions as well. And there's no one more vulnerable than the unborn. And today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and this is a day where we hold up life for the unborn. They're certainly in a vulnerable position. And I know that for some of you, this Sunday brings up uh, a lot of hurt, uh, a lot of pain, and for you, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that, that you've had to go through that. I'm sorry that you're probably even experiencing that right now. 
And if you find yourself stuck or suffering through those things, we have help. We wanna reach out to you and we wanna provide counseling for you. We want to walk alongside you in that healing process because Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to reach out to you. But for some others, I know that you don't like today because you just don't agree with our position. At Christ Chapel, we are unapologetically pro-life. That's who we are, that's what we believe. That's who we've always been and that's who we always will be. And I've put this on your sermon notes because I I just wanna walk through this, why we are pro-life, biblically. And maybe you don't agree, but please would you just give me a second to articulate why why we have that position. Uh, Biblical reasons we reach out to support life, this on your sermon notes. First, we believe that God is the creator of life and creates people in his image. No other part of creation is created in his image. Human beings are sacred and we believe that life begins at conception. And so that's why God is the creator of life. And by the way, for any, anybody who's ever connected with someone who struggles with infertility, you know that it takes an act of God to make those things connect. I mean, people try and try and try, and my heart bleeds for you guys. I, I hate that. And we know that it takes God to make those things connect, and it's sacred. It's it's a miracle when those things connect. And we need to protect that miracle. That miracle is created in the image of God like nothing else. Second, God explicitly commands us not to murder. That's in Exodus chapter 20 and the 10 commandments. Third, God's law established severe punishment for those who didn't protect life, even life of the unborn. In Genesis chapter nine, there was life for life, but even if you go into Exodus chapter 21, there's a punishment for those who who kill the unborn, life for life. So he equates our life, our living, breathing life, with the life in the womb. Those are equal, and that's one of the reasons why we stand for life. Fourth, Jesus values a human soul greater than other aspects of his creation. If you even think back to Matthew chapter six when he's talking about don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear, and he says, he uses the example of a a bird, and he says, aren't you more valuable than a bird? Humankind is the the pinnacle of his creation, the, the highest order, because we're created in his image. And then five, Jesus came to give us abundant life. And if you know John chapter 10, verse 10, you oftentimes hear us quote that, because that's where Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. But do you remember what comes before that? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come to give you life and life abundant. The opposite of what Jesus wants. He doesn't want for your life or anyone's life to be stolen or to be destroyed or killed, snuffed out, ceased, He doesn't doesn't desire that. That's why he came to give us life and life abundantly. And those of you who have been affected by abortion, it steals life. Statistics tell us that 25% of all of us, of all of us, male or female, have been affected by abortion. And the downstream effect of that is mental, emotional anguish, spiritual anguish, depression. There's so much that comes along with that. We are, we are for life. 
we want to step into that and we want to reach out to those who are not only vulnerable as far as in the womb and protect that life, but those who have even made those decisions because God can redeem, God can forgive, God can do wonderful things in your life. You're not beyond hope, we don't hate you. Please don't hear that. We wanna reach out to you. We wanna help you experience the life and life abundant. You know, as I was thinking about it this morning, when, when we say we're for life, and I told you today, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, where we hold up life, I'm like, what's different than any other Sunday? I mean, that's what, that's what I am, that's what I'm here for. That's what I am passionate about is you experiencing life to the fullest through Jesus every single day. You, your life, but everybody's life around you. That, that God would make a difference in your life and redeem you and restore all those things back to the way that he desires for them to be so that you could make a difference. That you could demonstrate his heart because you have a transformed heart as well but that's not really socially acceptable today, which is an interesting part that I think that James adds. If you look back at uh, chapter one, verse 27, if you look back at the very end of it, remember religion that is pure and undefiled is the, before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And when he talks about the world, he's not talking about a planet, planet Earth. What he's talking about here is the system of the world. And church, that's why we have to be explicit about where we stand on pro-life issues. We are for life because we can't begin to compromise with the world's system and what, what the world sees as acceptable because the world sees choice as acceptable. And in fact, many of you may, may know this, but Michelle Williams at the Golden Globes, when she accepted her, her award, she was very articulate. She was very well-spoken and, and, and spoke in a very respectful way, so I wanna be respectful of her. But one of the things that she praised when she got her award was the right to choose because she said that the right to choose gave her the ability to pursue her career and therefore gain that Golden Globe. And I just go, how sad. I mean, what a trade. You got a trophy, and we lost a life. But that's what's acceptable. In fact, she even went on and gave an application, in a sense, to her acceptance speech. And she said, everyone, go vote in your own self-interest. I mean, isn't that what choice is about? It's my interest. What, what, is, what interests me? What do I wanna do with my life? And any inconvenience, anything I don't want, I take out. I mean, that's the, the epitome of sin, is selfishness. But that's what's acceptable in the world. And that's why we have to be explicit about where we stand, countercultural to society, so that we can actually make a difference in our world. We're not gonna make a difference, church, if we look like the world. Why do they need a church? They don't need, we don't need it if we're just gonna look like the world. We have to stand on God's word and what God's word says and then reach out to those with his heart in order to make a difference. Not compromising with the world, but standing on his word counter to those systems of the world that steal, kill, and destroy life. 
That's what we stand for, and that's what we stand for today. And, and, and here's why. Because when we reach out in selfless service, not in our own self-interest, but when we reach out in selfless service, we can change the direction of multiple lives. And I see it time and time again here at our church. We have a myriad of ways that you can get involved. I wrote down some of them. If you want to make a difference in people's lives, you can get involved and begin reaching out today. We have four life ministries. We interface with pregnancy centers and a lot of folks that are for life. Adoption agencies at the West Campus, we're gonna have a match event for adoption where you can go if you're interested in adoption, but you can just help adopting families as well. We're excited about that event. We have manpower. Men, we have a group of men that meet one Saturday a month where we go to single moms and widows' homes and help them with whatever we can. That is pure and undefiled religion. We call it manpower. You can reach out in that today. Serve our schools. You can be teacher's aides in the schools. You can be read-to-win mentors to those kids in need that are struggling with reading. Man, the statistics on reading are unbelievable. If a child doesn't know how to read by age, uh, by the fourth grade, I believe that it is, that the, the um, percentage, the, the statistics say that they have a greater percentage, astronomically, greater percentage of going to prison if they don't know how to read by the fourth grade. It's just, you can change their life by going and helping them read, by reaching out to them. Or we have a ministry that helps refugees get acclimated into the, the things in our society. We certainly, we combat human trafficking. We have three women's groups right now that, that literally reach out to those who are rescued out of uh, sex trafficking right now. Phenomenal ministry that those three groups of women are doing. And all of these things are changing people's lives, whether it's teaching them to read, reaching out, helping them change light bulbs, mowing lawns, all of those wonderful things. But you know whose lives are oftentimes changed? The people who reach out. They, they all say, man, I'm just glad to do this. I'm just glad to be a part of this. Thanks for giving me an opportunity. And it reminded me of the scripture that Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that marks Jesus's heart, is reaching out to give, reaching out to help. He says it's more blessed. And so here's what I want for you to do. I want you to begin your personal ministry in 2020 by reaching out to serve. I want you to begin your personal ministry in 2020 by reaching out to serve. Now, some of you already feel like it's a a daunting task, but let let me talk to you for just a second. You can have, and honestly, because of what scripture teaches us, should have a personal ministry. And here's what qualifies you. You don't have to have a seminary degree to have a personal ministry. You don't have to have a name tag. You don't have to be on church staff. What you have is the Holy Spirit inside of you in a relationship with Jesus that allows you to have a personal ministry because what we believe 
is that he has equipped each one of you to have a personal ministry that you can reach out to those in need who are around you. Doesn't matter who. He has equipped you because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the same spirit that lives in you lives in me, lives in all of our staff. It's the same one. He wants us to have a personal ministry where we demonstrate his heart and reach out to others. And by the way, just so you know, a lot of personal ministry is born out of pain. And the things that you have experienced that have caused you pain, oftentimes, I see it all the time, God redeems and restores and uses it to turn around and help other people who are struggling through similar things. And so he gets you through, he gives you the comfort, which is very scriptural, so that you can comfort others as well. And so I want you to begin your personal ministry in 2020. Would this be the year that you would begin to reach out? And we wanna help you do that. We wanna give you permission to do that. And so I'm gonna get very specific here. I'm gonna tell you what reaching out is gonna require of you, and then I've given you a blank underneath each, each of these points and principles so that you could get very specific in who you're gonna reach out to, how you're gonna reach out to them, and when you're gonna reach out to them. Because nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. And so we're gonna get very specific here about how God is calling you to reach out. I've been praying for you all week that at this point, God would bring to mind who, how, and when. And by the way, I have failed on this many times. In fact, Friday, I had to call a widow in our church and ask for her forgiveness because I said, I haven't reached out to you the way that I know Jesus calls me to reach out to you. And so if you failed on this, it's okay. Today's the day that we start anew. So here's what reaching out is going to entail. First, reaching out requires bold initiative, not waiting for a feeling or an invitation. You've gotta just take the initiative. Don't wait for an invitation and don't wait for a feeling. Oftentimes people in need, they either don't want to ask for help or they don't know how to ask for help. And so just reaching out, it, it reminds me all the time, especially those who are, are grieving or, going, or hurting, you know, I, I'll call them or whatever and I'll say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And it just kinda, it's kinda the polite thing to say, you know? Kinda gets me off the hook and then it like puts the ball in their court and it's like, well, they never called. And I realize, that's just wrong, I need to, I need to offer something. Just the way that Jesus offers us things even when we didn't know what we needed. And I need to go, look, I'm coming over, or I'm bringing a meal, or whatever. Taking the initiative, but that gets to the how. So that's the who, now let's get to the how. Reaching out requires gracious generosity, valuing people for who they are instead of what they can give you. When he talks about widows and orphans in, in the book of James, widows and orphans had nothing to give in return. You go and you help them in their distress, which by the way, didn't mean, the word used here is not a social visit, it's an actual you're helping them visit. They had nothing to give in return. And in our world today, we give so that we can get. It's like we give and then we just kind of tap our foot waiting. What do I get in return for that? And that's just not the heart of God. His is to give looking for, for nothing in return. And so what can you do or how can you do that? Maybe you can listen or be present or provide a meal. One of the most valuable things that you can give people that you'll never get back is your time. 
You wanna give in a way that you can't expect anything in return. Give your time. It's valuable to us. It's an easy way to say this is just being generous. This is just being gracious. Not to pat yourself on the back, but because you're worshiping the Lord and you're demonstrating his heart as you reach out. And then finally, reaching out requires relentless perseverance, not giving up on what God can do. Relentless perseverance, not giving up on what God can do. Oftentimes, those people who are hurt or in hard circumstances or are in need have a very hard shell because they're, having, they're, they're coping with the different circumstances in their life. And you may try to reach out and you feel resistance. Man, that's just because a lot of people have offered to help, but nobody sticks. A lot of people say they'll be there and then everybody left them. And so that perseverance, continuing to go after them, continuing to reach out to them is imperative. It's what God did for us. He never lets us down. He never quits running after us, never quits coming after us. And when we demonstrate his heart, we never quit reaching out to those in need. You see, I want you to begin your personal ministry in 2020. We wanna give you permission to do it. We wanna encourage you. We wanna pray for you. We wanna support you. So that next year, Lord willing, when we see a 2020 impact video, we hear your story and we say, you reached out and your life was changed and so many others as well. But that inertia, it begins with reaching out now. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the way that you reached out to us. You reached out to us in the time when we were most in need. We had a sin problem that we couldn't fix. And you kept coming after us and you kept coming after us and you never gave up on us. You graciously gave us your son. And you gave us what was most valuable, what was most precious. Lord, I pray that we would mimic your heart. You would give us eyes to see those around us. And we would demonstrate that we have a changed life, that we haven't just heard the word, but we do it as well as we reach out to those around us. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.